All right, ladies and gentlemen, Mitchell Cashmore here, joined by Nick Hyle, and we are back for another episode of Off the Track, and this one's pretty special, eh, mate? Yeah, very special. We've got an absolute legend in the in the room today, joined in person for our first ever live interview. Yeah, um, not over the phone this time, in person. Yeah, it's pretty special here, so I know I'm very excited, I know you're very excited. We've been trying to plan this for a couple of weeks, and we're finally able to tee it up now, just before... This lad goes back to uh, Hong Kong, like he said. So, yeah, looking yes. good. So, today we're joined by a man who has been around the world more times than I could count. As a jockey, he has travelled the globe, winning multiple Group 1s, including the esteemed Arc de Triomphe. As a trainer, he's managed to have great success both in Australia and Hong Kong, winning countless training premierships, over a 1,000 winners in the training ranks. You might remember him for his habit of jumping the fence and running down the straight whenever he gets a big win. Of course, we're talking about the legendary Gary Moore. How are you, mate? Great to be here, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you, mate. Thanks for coming. It's probably our biggest name in racing, obviously, coming onto this podcast, and it's um real big help, and we're, we're real excited for this interview, mate. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I uh, hope the listeners are going to enjoy the, um, the interview today. Yeah, I reckon we're going to learn a lot of things, like I said to you, off camera, um, or off microphone, sorry. Uh, every time I speak to you, I learn something new, and... I think that's going to be the case every time I have a conversation with you. I met you a couple of years ago down at uh, Rose Hill when you were still training there. And I know Dad and my uncle were very good friends with you and I've had a few chats with you over the year and you're always a good talk. So I'm glad that we're able to actually sit down and record it and get uh, the listeners hearing into some of the exclusive Gary Moore stories. I hope the interview might get, him, get me into the Hall of Fame with my father. That's it. <laughs> Not in the Hall of Fame? Uh, hopefully the Hall of Fame, yes. Oh, hopefully the, uh, the powers that be are listening out and they are... Uh, send a message out to you to get Gary Moore in the Hall of Fame. Well, I think I should have a good chance. I mean, I'm, I'm the only Australian jockey to be champion in the Jockey of France. Um, Neville Selwood would have done it. I've ridden over a 1,000 winners. I've ridden you know, throughout the world. I've ridden against some of the best jockeys in the world. Um, lucky enough to win a Group 1 race in Australia, so definitely uh, got a chance to make it. And it would be very prestigious for me. Oh, I hope so. Well, we'll talk about all that and plenty, plenty more over the next hour or so that we have you in here. I guess we'll start from the very, very beginning. Coming from such an esteemed racing family, it seemed probably almost inevitable that you were going to be going into the industry. So how old were you when you officially entered the industry and hopped on the horse for the first time? Well, let's go back to 65 when I was still at... Um, 1965, of course. When I was still at school um, at Cranbrook. Uh, Dad was riding at the time, so I'd uh, do track work uh, Tuesdays and Saturday mornings. Dad would take me to the track with him. Uh, come home, had school, had sport, had homework, but that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a jockey. So anyway, so we moved to France in 1967. Um, I moved to France. Dad was riding in England for uh, the late St. Olmerlis. Dad decided to send me over to France age of 15 to start my apprenticeship, had 25 rides, uh, rode two winners. First winner I rode was round two football fields. <laughs> Pretty special because it was the winner, you know, the winner I rode was for uh, a gentleman by the name of Willie Head. The Head family's, you know, probably one of the most successful families in racing history in, uh, in Europe. End of 67, Dad decided to, um, uh, to come back uh, to ride in Australia it's quite funny, the first ride I had, mum and dad flew over for the race um, in France and uh, I missed the start, ran fourth and uh, dad turned to mum and uh, said, send him back to school. <laughs> and I've ridden a thousand, 
well, 1,500 winners. Jeez. Um, ridden probably about 55 Group 1 winners. Won the most prestigious race in the world. So uh, not bad for a boy that uh, his father said, send him back to school. <laughs> That's it. And speaking of your dad, um, George Moore, statistically, he's the best jockey to ever live. So was there ever any pressure going into becoming a jockey that you're following in your dad's footsteps? Well, it's like a bottle of red wine. I, I really come good from the age of 18 to 20 because uh, I was lucky enough to be able to ride nine months in Hong Kong and then I'd go to France and ride three months in France. So that really uh, enhanced my, my career. It gave me great exposure to world racing and you can't beat experience. And w- where, where I came into to luck was when I arrived, one of the leading riders had fall off. Uh, had fallen off and I'd fall into their job and I won four group ones in France like this and uh, then in, um, I decided to ride there on a permanent basis um, in 1986. Uh, Dad had just retired, things weren't getting on really great with my brother uh, and that's when I was champion jockey of France, uh, rode throughout the world, rode the Japan Cup three times, fortunately got beaten but terrific atmosphere, definitely up with the Everest atmosphere yep. wise. Yep. Sweet Caroline. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> but um, so that's where I really got a kick on um, in my career. Um, I was very lucky I got on a lot of great horses. You know, when you think of it, um, going back in time, Dad and I were the first father and son to ride the Melbourne Cup together. Yep. Uh, I'll always remember because Dad said to the trainer I rode for it at six stone thirteen. Here's two hundred quid. Put my son on, will you? <laughs> <laughs> so I got the ride, and uh, uh, Dad said, "Listen, son, jump, go and lead." So if we put my hand up after the winning post the first time around, I could have put it up the wall and said I won the Melbourne Cup, which wasn't true. I felt, felt uh, I um, finished well down the track. Uh, jump, led like Dad gave me the orders too. And when I got to the, it was a five furlong, laid up close to the rail and finished down the track. But it was, you know, when you look back on it, it's pretty special. And then another wonderful, two wonderful feats uh, that Dad and I were able to accomplish was when uh, he won the uh, English Thousand Guineas on fleet and then I came out and won the English Thousand Guineas in 86. And I said, here, we're the first father and son to win the uh, English Thousand Guineas at Newmark. And some old fellow got on and said, it's not true. Somebody won it in 1893 and 80. 1894, but it was still pretty special at the time. And then we come out and we both won the Arc de Triomphe, father and son, um, and that was equaled by the Sam Martin family. Uh, Eric won it on Urban Sea, who was the dam of, uh, let's get it right, uh, Galileo. All right. Okay. So that's where it's all gone until uh, uh, I got disqualified. Um, I was disqualified in 1990 by the Royal Hong Kong Jockey Club at the time. Um, I got four years for gambling. So I thought, well, it's a great opportunity to uh, go to the States. Um, I worked on a um, on, on Warmack Farm doing stallion nominations. And I mean, there were some wonderful stallions there at that time. And, and then I, I came back after and... Uh, uh, made a comeback to ride in Macau for Dad and then decided uh, 
I'd hang up my boots, which which was in uh, 1997. But you know, I've ha- I had a wonderful career. I mean, I rode for some of the biggest owners in the world. Um, I rode for the Wertheimer family, who are famous for Chanel. Um, they had a very good uh, mayor called Bonnie, uh, Goldie Cover, who won the Breeders' Cup three times. I rode for Sheikh Mohammed's family. I rode for Prince Khalid Abdullah. I rode for the Rothschild family. So, and some numerous very high-profile people in Hong Kong, like uh, the late Dr Stanley Ho, who's really Mr Macau, started Macau. Uh, we went back a long way and a pretty sad loss two years ago. Mm. So you say that you rode for a lot of famous people. Who do you think probably you had the best relationship with over the years? Out of all of those famous families, those famous trainers, who do you think you had the most success with? I'd have to say Dr St- Stanley Ho, Mitchell, because I rode for Dr Ho when Dad trained for him in the 70s. And then I was fortunate enough to, um, to train from him in Macau uh, from the year 2002 till I uh, stepped down from training in Macau and returned to Sydney, um, having also done a stint at Randwick from 2000 to 2002. But definitely uh, had a great um, connection uh, professionally with Dr Ho. Um, John, my brother, trained for him. So, you know, we sort of go back a long way. Mm. Oh, well, it's good that you've had such a long story career. Like you said, you're able to live up to that more name and you've had countless, countless wins and you had countless wins with your dad as well. You, you've told me many stories about you and your dad riding against each other. Were there much banter thrown around? Did you ever have that, you know, spirited competition between father and son? Oh, we went ahead and had one day at Warwick Farm and I really think he... He let me win because he, you know, normally says to the horse, go on, boy, go on, son. I think he meant to me to push harder. Anyway, I ended up winning the race um, by a head. And, uh, you know, when I first started out in, you know, in Sydney uh, as an apprentice uh, after France, uh, I got a ride from Joe Manning, who was very friendly with Tommy Smith and Dad, uh, down down in the, um, in the country. Uh, and I... A horse called a mare called Flower Power, and I, I, I won easy. And then they said, "Oh, we're going to run her at Canterbury in three weeks' time." I thought, "God, I'm surely going to get the ride." And you wouldn't believe it—they took me off and put George Moore on, <laughs> <laughs> and she won. She won easy again. So, I mean, you know, I had a few. I had two falls in Australia, and uh, my first fall I had was at Rose Hill, and Dad was in the race, and he said to me, "Son, do not go inside a horse called Raw Renee because he." hangs in, where do you think I went? And I'm on the, uh, I think the, the uh, dam of Baguette, uh, or the same family as Baguette. Yep. Anyway, I went inside, clipped heels, fell, mm. and got knocked out. Dad's jumped off because he was riding in the same race, of course, run back, and he thought I was dead. Um, luckily, I was just knocked out and finished in Westmead Hospital, but it was a good lesson from, you know, such a young age of, you know, how you race ride. And um, because I had a very soft upbringing, I went to a very, very good private school, very close to my mother. So when I first started out, you know, I sort of was a little little soft. You know, hey, 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 come off the fence. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, uh, so, but, you know, with time and maturity, um, I was lucky enough I developed into, you know, a pretty good rider. So you're saying that he pulled his horse up mid-race to go back and check on you? No, it was we. I clipped heels just before the winning post at Rose Hill. Yep. So it was just after the post where Dad uh, eased his horse and gave it to one of the boys that 
plugs in the holes after the after each race. Um, but you know, then the next fall I had was at Newcastle. Um, uh, broke my left wrist and right collarbone. So you know, in those days without so much insurance and the policies and all that, you can make a comeback fairly quickly. Just tie your shoulders in a figure eight knot and away you go, right? But um, like I said, at eight falls, um, I had a very bad fall at uh, Happy Valley. Rode a horse that um, over 1650 jump led, had a bad hemorrhage, uh, veered off the track. I thought he was shying from the birds on the track. Anyway, he's veered off the track and he's hit the... Hit the uh, Hong Kong uh, Football Club war with me on him, fell back on me, cracked my pelvis. So they take me off to hospital, and after the race, his dad comes to hospital to see me and said, son, listen, why didn't you jump off? <laughs> I said, I never thought about it. <laughs> so a year later, I'm riding at Chartin, in 1,000 metres on a horse called Helmsman, and it just shows you can never win. Jumped, went 500 metres, had a bleed, Started a wobble. I jumped off, knocked myself out, and broke my right wrist. <laughs> Excuse me, right uh, ankle. So still couldn't win. But um, that's racing. Yeah. But at least I got out in one piece. That's it. That's it. Um, you said earlier you started your apprenticeship and you went over to Europe, um, where you then, after a couple of years, you went and won the biggest race, the Arc de Triomphe. Can you tell us a bit about that race? Do you remember? exactly how it played, like your game plan going into it? What, how did it play? Well, I mean, going into the race, I didn't think I had much chance because um, the mare that I rode had won a race called the Royal Oak, which is over 3,200 metres. Yep. Uh, Freddie had rode her, and it was this second thought of, of the Wertheimer and the Head family to run in the Arc de Triomphe. And I had a, uh, a ride for my father in uh, one of the group ones on that day. So... When I got the call call up uh, to replace Freddie on Gold River because he rode uh, an another uh, of, of a mare called Detroit for uh, uh, the late uh, Mr. Robert Sangster, so I got the ride on um, Gold River. So I rode at Happy Valley on the Saturday, um, rode two winners. Uh, Mum took me to the airport, in fact, and said, "Listen, son, I've got two hundred francs in my pocket. I want you to put." A hundred francs win and a hundred francs place. I said, Mum, look, she's 99 to 1. 100 to 1, she's got no chance. I still want it on. I said, OK, look, I'll do it, but I've got to find somebody. Anyway, so I ran into a friend of mine um, after I parked my car in the car park. I said, look, I've got 200 francs here. Mum wants you to put it on for me. Not for me. Jockeys don't bet. <laughs> for Mum. <laughs> so... Um, Supposedly, the 100 francs was supposed to go on Gold River, win place. Anyway, after I won the ARC, uh, which was a tremendous thrill to, you know, to, to ride in Hong Kong on the Saturday and come out with, you know, what today rated by Longjean is the, you know, is the most prestigious race in the world. So after the races, I come looking for my friend. I couldn't find him. You wouldn't believe it. I don't know where he was hiding. <laughs> I found him and he said, you wouldn't believe it. I didn't get on. Oh, no, I said, you didn't get on. What am I going to tell mum? <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, who was the first to meet me at the airport? My mother. <laughs> oh. So um, I had to cough up, but it, it was still a great thrill to win it and, and mum to be you know, part of the win. 100%. Um, and then after that, you've um, you found your way to Hong Kong as well. What brought that 
changed? Like, why did you move from Europe to Hong Kong? Like, why did you switch so much? What was the – was it just for the big races or – well, I rode, I rode, like I mentioned, I rode for Dad from 1972 mm-hmm. until um, Dad retired in 85. And then my brother took over the stable. And, you know, we weren't getting on that well. Um, and then the big offer came along to ride in France in 86. And I'd already turned it down twice. Uh, one was Mr. Stavros Nyakos. And I, uh, for Monsieur, Mr. Boutin, and then I already turned the head family down once before, but this time I decided to um, to take the offer, uh, contract to uh, head family as trainers, um, Prince Khalid, Prince Khalid Abdullah, who's naturally is the owner of um, was the owner of uh, Frankel, uh, the Maktoum family and the Wertheimer family and. Uh, you know, I had a great 1986. I won the French Derby on bearing, probably the best colt that I ever rode and uh, uh, won uh, numerous other big races. Uh, but that year I was... At, uh, 1987 was my big year. I was champion jockey of France. So that was, you know, that really brought great prestige to, you know, what I tried to accomplish over my um, uh, being a jockey. Um, and then I, I rode it, like I said, I rode in France under contract from 86 to uh, 89, rode for Mr. Yoshida. And then in 1990, I took a contract and rode in Italy for six months until I was unfortunately disqualified and I was leading stakes rider there. But it was quite, it was quite a challenge because, I'm, you know, I'm lucky I speak fluent French. Um, I learned Italian quickly. <laughs> Because I, you know, when I arrived, you know, I was sort of trespassing on their territory, and uh, and they, they sort of first few rides that I had, they really showed me that, you know, they meant business. And I got pushed into the rails, but I, I, I still continue, I treated them with respect, and then they got to know me better, and I, I, I won the Italian Oaks, I won the big race in Italy. I suppose the the, the saddest part is is. Uh, well, I won the I won the uh, Italian Oaks on a filly called Atoll, and then we took her over and ran her in the um, the Irish Oaks, and she didn't quite get two thousand four hundred meters. And if your listeners haven't seen the curb before, it's you come into the straight, it goes down, and then it's a steep climb to the winning post. So anyway, I I come into the straight straight and let the car going really easy, and I thought, what I let it go down, what goes down must go up. And I let it go about 50 metres too early. And once I hit the rising ground, I got beaten uh, a neck by the filly that won the uh, English Oaks. Headlines the next day, this is worse than Italy losing the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there was th- those things do happen in racing. Oh, fair enough. Um, so you said that you've ridden for Godolphin before. What was that like, riding for the, the Sheik? Well, I mean, I didn't ride under... under co- I rode under contract to Maktoum al-Maktoum, uh, who's the brother to Sheikh Mohammed. Oh, OK. Um, but had a few rides for them, you know, during the time that I was in France, trained by André Fab. You know, they're a, it's a very, very big operation. I mean, it's been wonderful uh, for racing in Europe and also throughout the world. Yeah, so you've... Ridden for everyone but the Queen, did you say? You were telling me earlier you've ridden for just about everyone but the Queen. Yes, that's it's probably one of the only accomplishments um, that I didn't um, do is I never had the opportunity to ride for um, Her Majesty. Um, 
but I was fortunate enough to to meet her at Royal Ascot uh, when I rode in the Coronation Stakes, which was which is very very big thrill. Uh, you know, Dad rode a lot for the Queen, rode a lot of winners for her, and uh, you know she's she's just was a lovely lady. What'd you say to her when you met her? I sort of I said when I walked up and I saw my trainer speaking to her, I thought oh, I've got to say. Good afternoon, ma'am, or good afternoon, your majesty. So I sort of got it right. So, you know, it was unfortunately I didn't win the coronation stakes that year. <laughs> oh, well, but like I said earlier, you've been around the world more times than anybody can count. Out of all the countries, you said Ireland, America, Sweden, Hong Kong, France. What do you reckon would be your favourite to have ridden in? Look, I mean, I rode in the Japan Cup three times and, you know, to, to uh, just get beaten to turn on in that um, at the back of the racetrack and all look you know look across at 120,000 really enthusiastic um, Japanese race girls and and you know the Japan cups that I rode in I rode with in it, you know with with Willie Shoemaker one of the best jockeys in the world at the time he rode John Henry you know I you know, I rode some I rode against some very very good jockeys in my lifetime now, probably the best was was Lester Piggott. I think Dad mentioned that on air also, uh, that everybody thought he'd mentioned an Australian as the best jockey. You know, Lester Piggott revolutionised uh, race riding. Com- you know, back to the days of uh, Sir Gordon Richards, he uh, pulled up with what we call the stirrup leathers. Um, he rode with a very long whip. He had wonderful balance. Great strength, and you know, you look at his um, his record. Yeah. It's just quite amazing, which was brought to everybody's attention um, what a year or two ago, just after he passed away. So riding in races against him was very special. Now you look back on what he's accomplished. Oh, fair enough. Do you want to take the next question, Nick? Yeah, you, you seem to be always drawn back to um to Hong Kong, no matter what sporadic stints over here in Australia, whether it be as a jockey or um, training, you've always found your way back to Hong Kong. What's made you fall in love with over there? Well, I think once once I reached the age of 15 here in Australia, uh, we went to England, like I mentioned, and we came back to Australia. Then um, I was riding in France in 69, 70, and then the offer came along for Dad to train in Hong Kong. So we... Um, Dad, we decided to follow Dad to Hong Kong in 72, and I'm in 72, and so I've lived there probably most of my life in Asia. When you take in length of time that I rode um, and lived in Hong Kong, and the length of time, meaning 12 years I trained in Macau. So Asia's probably a very special part of my my life. Uh, Also, Having kids who are Chinese descendants, or they're you know they're born in Hong Kong, and you know even though I was back in Australia for eight years this time around, I still uh, kept close contact with friends, racing, and I would attend the feature race days in Hong Kong, possibly you know three or four times a year. So going back to racing here, um, you've obviously become such a great trainer. Um, you've rode. I mean, so not road. You've trained over a thousand winners. 
How was the transition from being a jockey to going into a trainer? Was it hard or was it just something that you got used to because you saw dad do it as well or is it just, how did it come about? Look, I mean, after I retired from riding, the worst thing I ever did was, well, I was a quick learner. Yeah. And dad's, I said, dad said, what are you going to do, son? I said, I'm going back to, to Randwick to train and I was lucky enough to get two boxes at Randwick, and Dad said, like he told me when I started to ride, he said, son, I'll eat you alive. But um, so I stayed in Australia for two years. But what I should have done, I should have done a, a, a stint with one of the you know, leading trainers, whether it's in Australia, America, which is probably better than sort of going to Europe to do a stint with a leading trainer. And I mean, I was lucky because I was a quick learner. So when I decided to return to Macau, in 2002, I'd already trained you know, a listed winner. Um, things were going really well. I had 40 horses in training at Randwick. But my heart was to go back to Asia at that time. Yeah. But, I mean, it was, it was quite a challenge, you know, to go from riding to training. Yeah. Because very few uh, good riders, <laughs> I won't say great, but mm. make it. Yeah. yeah. But I was lucky enough... Uh, that I had the experience that I'd already ridden um, throughout the world. I'd ridden for some great trainers, uh, including my father. So I, I did have the foundation to to be able to make a success of it, which I was fortunate enough to do, um, being champion trainer of Macau eight times. Uh, won a group, one here in Australia with Takedown um, and trained other numerous uh, group winners, which was, you know, quite a feat when you think that at Rose Hill, you, you know, I'm probably training a, with one of the best trainers in the world, in um, Chris Waller, not forgetting, you know, the Hawks family and uh, and Joel Ryan. So, you know, I, I I watched very carefully, you know, probably, you know, I thought the best horse that I ever saw in my life at the moment it was Dancing Brave, who beat me in the Arc de Triomphe. But after seeing what Winks, Black Caviar, uh had had you know accomplished in their racing career and the way that um, Chris Waller and um, uh, Peter Moody trained these great mares was was great to be part of. Mm. So, did did you ever pick up any pointers? Like you said, you were training right next to the likes of the Hawks and Chris Waller. Did you ever get with them and you know talk tactics? Or when it comes to the relationships between trainers, do you keep to yourself a bit? You know, a magician never reveals their secrets or. Did you ever learn anything off them like that? Oh, no, for me it was mainly, mainly observation, mm. you know, because you, I was there every morning, well, every morning except Sunday, of course, and then just watched them, how they put the foundation into their, you know, their horses, how much muscle they gained. And, you know, I might have asked a few few questions, you know, you know how did you do this, Chris, or to the Hawkses? But like I said, I'd already had, you know, the foundation, of, you know, I'd already been coming back to Australia you know, to to to, to the, attend the big meetings, and I and I follow Australian racing where where wherever I was, uh, so I and I already knew. But I mean, you know, Chris is such a wonderful trainer, and I'm, I'm like you said before, it all comes down to management skills. He's got great staff, including Charlie Duckworth, and, and uh, I mean, his his dedication is and hard work's just he deserves the success that he's experiencing. Yeah, hundred percent. He seems like just a guru. I watch. His videos he puts out every week, usually every week when he sits down with Charlie and they go through their runners for the week and they, they're just guru. They can tell 
when and where they're perfectly placed and how they're going to run, what style they're going to run, and they just seem to absolutely know. It's like they've got, you know, the playbook already written for them. You know, it's like they've got the history books written. They know that Winx is going to win. They know Very Elegant's going to win. They know Nature Strip's going to win. Like, they just make it look so much easier than it actually would be, assuming, as a trainer, because it wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be an easy job. No, definitely. I mean, I thought Chris could keep secrets. I said to him one day, because I found a little flaw in James McDonald's, well, it's not many, He's going to break all the records, and he's only very young. But I, I just thought that he was sort of, he's got, he's got a great finesse of how he gets a horse to extend, going into the last, you know, three hundred meters. And I just watched him get rolled a couple of times on, on things where he just come a, you know, stride or too early. And I said to Chris Wall, I said, Chris, why don't you tell James what my father used to tell me: count to ten before you let it go. And he even told James, but so that was quite funny. I thought, you know, but no. Uh, it's been great being back in Australia. So when it comes to Australian racing, of course, like we said, you've rode many, many winners. But um, training-wise, let's talk about your greatest triumph when it comes to Australian racing, takedown. That seems to be your winks, of course. That was the horse that seemed to come out of nowhere and was all of a sudden a Group 1 winner within a matter of months. So take us through the beginnings of that horse all the way up into the big Group 1 triumph. Well, I mean, when I first came back to Australia to train after riding Mitchell... I, I, the first horse, I thought, hot favourite, comes in last. I said, that's a bad start. <laughs> but Percy Sykes did come into the stable uh, at Rambrick. Dad asked him, the late Percy Sykes, one of the best veterinarians ever, uh, came in and Dad got him c- to come and look at Grand Gold and said, George, he's got no muscle. So I thought, the next time I come to train in Australia, I'll make sure that I win. And I got a, a real nice filly from Paul Massara. So I set it for a maiden at Scone and... I got it right this time. She won, uh, which was pretty exciting. But, I mean, getting back to takedown, he was the revelation for um, my training career in Australia. I, we'd known the, uh, the Thompsons through Dad, knowing Anthony Thompson's father, Bim. And I said to Anthony one day, I said, Anthony, what about giving me a horse to train? So he thought about it. He said, look, I've got this horse... He's 16-3. He's a big monster of a thing. He leads the other yearlings at that time around. He said, you can, I'll give you this to train. And anyway, so takedown comes to Rose Hill. My stable staff watch him walk into the stable and they said, wow, what an awful horse. <laughs> so I just smiled. Then I got him going and I thought, wow, this horse, is for a big horse, good mover carries himself well so got him going and I said to Anthony I said Anthony what I'm going to do is I'm going to trial him next week and he'll trial really well from what he's shown me on the track so I trialed him at Rose Hill and he wouldn't believe it he finished second last in the trial so Anthony and his other part owner Rob Anderson says what happened you told me this horse goes well so uh, got him back started working and I put the blinkers on him trialed him Two weeks later, bounced fast, uh, won the trial. And I thought, wow, we got him where we want him. So I set him for a race at Kembla Grange, not knowing I was going to run into a Godolphin horse that was later a Group 1 winner. Ran third, still a good run, over 1,000 metres. Then I ran him at Hawkesbury, 1,200, he won. And then I, I ran him in the, uh, the uh, Black Opal, yeah. Canberra. Jump, led, won well. 
really exciting. Unfortunately, I wasn't there. I was at the sales in Adelaide. But he just continued to go forward, go forward, won the Bailey at Rose Hill, won numerous you know, great races. And then I took him down to Melbourne and he started to go in the wind. So we did a tie back with him, come back. Dr. Donald Lumsden rang Regat Quan, was very pleased with how the operation went. Um, ran him at Caulfield, should have won, got hemmed in. And then I got a call from, from WA and they asked me to nominate him for the winter bottom. So I thought, why not? Nothing to lose, S- eh? Nothing to lose. Uh, asked Tim Clark to ride him, who wrote a lot of great winners for me, took him over to Perth. It worked well leading into the race. We won. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic. My first group one went, I'm going to run up the track <laughs> <laughs> and uh, have Tim come back slowly, uh, present a takedown to the, you know, to the numerous race fans that were there. But that was a pretty special day and then got a call from Hong Kong. So to be able to take him to Hong Kong for the Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong International Sprint, which, I mean, if he had a broke better and didn't get knocked down at the first turn, I think he would have been pretty close to the money. But unfortunately, after that, he never come back from that race. Couldn't get him going. And I suggested to um, Anthony Thompson that he maybe try another trainer, uh, which they they did. Uh, but he never regained the, um, the form that he uh, possessed uh, prior to the... Um, where he was with the um, his winner of the winter bottom. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the videos of you jumping the fence and running down the straight. Um, what explain to me why was that the celebration of choice? Did just pure elation? Is that what happened, or it might have been the white wine? Yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean elation to think you know I, I broke 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 my my you know, broke what every trainer wants to do is train a group one winner. So I just couldn't hold my, um, like I'd already done it before at Randwick, but it's funny, after takedown won the winter bottom, I had numerous fans come to me race day, uh, you know, like when I had a runner. Uh, a lot of young kids, in fact, said to me, listen, when are you going to run up and down the track again? <laughs> I said, I haven't got a horse good enough to be able to do it, and I'm about five years older, <laughs> but I'm just as fit. Did they ever try and stop you? Did you ever go to mount the fence and then the security guards run over and stop you from doing it? I Look, I... I I was very lucky in that area, Mitchell, because the stewards could have said, look, you broke the rules, you know, you're running up and down the track, you're not supposed to do that. But they were, they were sort of must have just taken a blind eye to it and uh, allowed me, you know, to do it on these. I think I did it at Randwick one day when take down one the group two. Yep. And, uh, but, you know, it was just so special to be able to accomplish that feat while training in Australia. Has that become the regular celebration? What about in Hong Kong? You ever pulled it out in Hong Kong? I did it after I won the. I um, that's probably the first time I did it was when I won the um, what we call it's an interport race. Um, it was pretty special also because I beat my brother in the race. <laughs> but um, it was interport race. It's like uh, we bring our horses over from a cow, which is probably about uh, half the field, seven of our best, and race against seven of Hong Kong's best in that grade. And I was f- lucky enough to win it. Um, for uh, uh, Dr. Stanley Ho with a horse called Viva um, Pronto, which was purchased out of uh, one of the uh, Breeze Up styles here in Australia. Oh, are you ever going to bring it back? What do you, what do you reckon? Because you're still training. You could still find a horse that's good enough to run down the track for. Well, I might do that. They asked me was I going to do that in Macau when we have our first winner um, because I'm joining up with my son, Nicholas, there. Yeah. Uh, so definitely a possibility. So 
let's just hope we, you know we've got a horse good enough to be able to take over to one to run in one of the feature races in Hong Kong. Now things have opened up. Yeah, because you said it was much harder with COVID-wise running in Macau because of the COVID situation there. I mean, it's it's been a, a nightmare for the uh, Macau Jockey Club, um, dropping numbers. Uh, nobody was allowed into into Macau. Owners couldn't attend the races, and uh, now it's you know we've been blessed. Uh, racing looks like it's going to open up again, with the uh, Hong Kong Jockey Club allowing uh, retired horses to come directly across from Hong Kong to Macau. So that's going to build uh, you know boost the numbers uh, that are at the present moment. They're only running about two hundred and eighty horses. Yeah. So um, you know hopefully maybe some of them some, a nice horse might come out of that, but we'll be definitely buying out of the sales here in Australia. Do you reckon, so you're buying them here, taking them over. Have you ever thought of, you know, ta- finding one in Hong Kong and bringing it back here? You know, you take the international stints over to Hong Kong, like you took take down to the Hong Kong feature race. Have you ever, you know, maybe bring one over, see if you can get in the Everest or anything? Well, I mean, it definitely would be a possibility, but, you, you know, you have to have a, a fairly high-rated high horse benchmark, as we call it in Australia, and it'd have to be definitely up to, like, say, winning a, a Group 3 in Hong Kong. And as you probably know, or, or listeners might know, as most of the uh, ra- uh, stakes races are open to foreign participation in Hong Kong. So definitely got a horse good enough. We'll take one over there. Oh, well. Um, I've always wondered, what's the difference between Hong Kong and Macau? Because I used to think that they were one and the same. Well, Hong, Hong Kong, let's say, Hong Kong's probably... I'm not going to say more. It, well, it is. It's it's a very pre- prestigious um, racing operation. It's very very well run by the chief executive. Um, everybody wanted to ride there until you know the Mr. Van Andelis moved the prize money up in Australia to a fantastic level. But you know Hong Kong International Race Day is a you know, pretty special day in the, in the racing calendar in the, in the world of racing today. So. Whereas Macau has sort of just fallen back a long way with this, which everybody's experienced with this uh, years of being out of, with COVID. Have you ever trained a winner at Sha Tin or Happy Valley? Um, well, like I mentioned earlier, the only race I've won in Hong Kong is the Interport race, which is called the Hong Kong Macau Trophy, yep. which is, is a benchmark race. Um, I've had a few runners in it, but I was lucky enough to win the win the race for Dr. Stanley Ho. So hopefully we can go back again, as previously mentioned. Lovely stuff. All right. Do we get into the off-track questions or...? Maybe just one more, because I'm very keen to ask you this, Gary, because I've spoke to you a bit about the jockeys that you've got your eyes on for the future, because you've worked with many, many talented jockeys in the past. Uh, like you said, you've been... A strong relationship with Tim Clark has formed as well as many others. So I'm wondering, what's one jockey that's currently in Hong Kong or Macau that you think could come over here and absolutely go great guns in Australia? And who's a couple in Australia that you think could potentially make it very big over in Hong Kong? That's an easy question, Mitchell. I think that um, Zach Purton's an outstanding rider. I tried to get him back uh, when I first started out in Macau because he did ride for me in the Derby, in Macau Derby, and he just said to me, look, I'm waiting on my licence for Hong Kong. If I don't get it, I'll come and ride for you. And yeah. he got it, and he hasn't looked back. But he's, I mean, people say he's horses for courses, but he's, I mean, he's won a race at Royal Ascot. He's come out and won, what, the Epsom or the Doncaster. 
Was it on Sacred Falls? I just I'm not sure. That's before but our he's, time. He's he's a very very good writer. He's a great great tactician. And like I said, he could he could do well anywhere in the world. He can write you know fifty four kilos if he has to. Yep. And I mean, you know, James James McDonald's is a fantastic writer, and he's you know he proved himself at the recent Royal Ascot meeting when he rode with three winners at the meet. He's young, like I mentioned earlier, he's going to break all the records. And I mean, if they could get him to to Hong Kong, which I doubt at the present moment, but um, he'd definitely you know. We want it give Zach great competition. You reckon J Mac and Zach Purton would be head to head every race, probably riding the whole card themselves. Well, I mean, Hugh's, Hugh Bowman's over there for three months, and I've watched him. You know, he's been you know he's been riding really well. Um, off you know not not a lot of rides. I think he's ridden about ten winners, which is which is very very good. Under you know, it's hard going in Hong Kong these days. But he's been there before. He's he rode a very good horse that I selected called Werther with David Chester. Um, but I think you know he's he might be looking at Hong Kong um, down the line if if Zach happens to go ahead with the plans to do and retire. But he's a bit like my father Zach. He's got one day he's going to retire and the next day he's going to keep riding. And uh, <laughs> but if I was him, I'd keep riding because he's, he's you know he's got a lot of years left in him. So if you were him, would you stay in Hong Kong? Or would you come back to Australia? Oh, while he's so dominant, if I was Zach, I'd be definitely standing. You know, but you know, don't forget, you've got your wife, you've got, you know, his children are getting older. Maybe he wants them to come back to Australia and be be schooled in Australia, even though the schools in Hong Kong are very, very good. So, um, no, I think we'll be seeing Zach for a few more years yet. What about Jamie Carr? You've mentioned to me that you're a big fan of the way she goes about it and her talent in the saddle, and she's recently gone over to Hong Kong, they sung her praises, but she's turned down the offer to go there full-time. What do you think about her and her potential future to go to Hong Kong? Well, I mean, two years ago, I said to um, to David Chester, Magic Millions, I said, the best rider in Australia at the moment is Jamie Carr. <laughs> and he probably thought I was stupid. And I said to him, listen, you're good friends friends with the chief executive of Hong Kong. See if they can get her to come and ride in Hong Kong because she, she can ride light. She's got great hands, wonderful balance. Um... And I thought she rode very well in, in Hong Kong on um, at the International Jockeys Meeting. Um, and she'd be a, a great acquisition if they could get it to come and ride in Hong Kong, but I don't foresee it at the moment with her um, with the farm that she has. And and uh, she's like she's very dominant in Melbourne, but a uh, great rider. So uh, you're the one that planted the seed for Jamie Carr to go to Hong Kong. You're the one that convinced them to ask her to come over. Well, I, I mentioned it and... Uh, it it was it's sort of in the air and uh, and she did show the, um, the the public in in Hong Kong what a great rider is rider she is you know having not ridden a lot of good chances on that night but um, if she gets the opportunity to go back and ride in the future races I'd definitely um, pursue it. She'd make history, wouldn't she? Because I don't think there's been many female full time jockeys in Hong Kong. Uh, there has, but they've been Chinese. But there was another very good jockey that rode in Hong Kong, like Jamie, just coming in for that international jockey's meet, was a girl called Julie Cronin. Yep. She's very, very good uh, rider in the United States. Um, broke numerous records, and she's probably one of the, you know, the best that I've seen uh, before Jamie. Oh, well, good stuff. Well, if Jamie Carr's out there listening, uh, she knows that uh, Gary Moore is definitely a big fan and thinks she'll go... Absolutely great guns over and in so Hong Kong. And so are we. So are we. Yeah, we're, we're big fans. Big fans of the way Jamie goes about. I think she's got a 
big future ahead of him. I think that, um, like you said, James McDonald's going to break a lot of records, but I think Jamie Carr is going to be up there as well, breaking a few records. I think she'll be the second ever woman to win a Melbourne Cup behind Michelle Payne. Uh, definitely. I mean, whatever uh, whatever James McDonald doesn't do, because he's going to beat, uh, well, Dad's record's already beaten, uh, but he's going to beat uh, Damien Oliver's. So if there's anything left after that, <laughs> Jamie Carr could be the one that um, that does the job for um, you know for all of us. Hundred percent. Us admirers of her professionalism and the way she rides. Hundred percent. Definitely. So any more questions, Nick? What do you reckon getting the off the track stuff? We'll get into the off the track stuff. So this is like our little bit here that we like to take over, get a bit into you, Gary, about what people can't really see. You can't Google this. You can't. Do anything. So we ask the questions and we find out some stuff that the listeners might want to know. Who knows? So um, I'll set it up. You're at the pub, like right now. What's your meal of choice? Well, what are you going to order on the menu? Uh, chicken. Chicken. Chicken schnitzel. Yeah. Uh, no, just plain chicken. Just chicken. <laughs> chicken. Chicken. Piece of Aussie steak. Yeah. Um, a few uh, gin tonic. Gin tonic. Uh, a couple of glasses of white wine. That's it. Like in when I when I partied in Hong Kong or Macau, it'd be if serious stuff means karaoke, dancing. I love music. Yep. After after um, racing, yep. music, dancing, can't sing a note. Even though I was in the <laughs> choir at school, <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, you know, this partying, going out. Yeah, that's what. I, that was another question I was going to ask. After even as um, when you were training, or even as a jockey in your younger years. After you had a big race day meet um, and you've run run a couple of winners, what does it what does it look like? Are you going out partying or are you going out to a restaurant having some wines, like you said, having a nice nice feed, or are you like you like getting out there having a bit of a party karaoke, like you said? I think probably you know, when I was riding in France, uh, no racing Monday, just going to Paris, have a, a few drinks before dinner and fine dining. That's have it. A good meal. Uh, can eat that night because riding six days a week. Uh, what riding in Hong Kong, Macau, after the last race drink and then party. <laughs> That's uh, it. You know, uh, you know, disco and uh, I still enjoy today. You know, I'm, I'm a great admirer of Michael Jackson. I think he was, unfortunately, I had the chance to see him when he came to sing in Queensland and gave him a ticket to my mother. Anyway, went to a good person. But, uh, you know, I've, he, he's just fantastic, you know, and he's been gone a while, mm. but we still listen to his music today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, um, what's your go-to wine of choice? You seem to mention that you like a couple of wines before dinner. What's the go-to wine? Oh, New Zealand. New Zealand? Yep. Cloudy Bay. Yeah, yeah. wow. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Didn't you ride for some winemakers? I did. I rode for the Rothschild family. You know, they've, they've got a very beautiful vineyard in, in Bordeaux. And uh, I went there to see it. I didn't get a bottle of wine, but <laughs> I got the ride on a Group 1 winner. So that's just as good. <laughs> But, uh, no, I really enjoy my wines. Uh, you know, in Australia, we've got some great wines, you know, the Penfolds. But, uh, yeah, I, I really like the uh, – I'm more of a, a white wine drinker or, or a gin drinker, uh, but also, you know, enjoy a nice you know, glass of red wine. So That's it. That's it. The fruits of life, right? Yeah. Can't complain. Oh, well, in Macau and Hong Kong – Yes. Apart from the racing and apart from the dancing – what else is there to get up to? Are there many sports that go around that catch your eye other than racing? Well, look, I'm a very keen golfer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to play golf. Um, 
golf is a little bit different to training because when you train, you can blame the jockey, you can blame the horse. But this bloody game of golf, all you can do is change your clubs. <laughs> and I, you know, my father was a very, very good golfer. What he was riding was a single marker, likewise my brother and my uh, uh, nephew. And I would play golf with, uh, with Dad uh, every Monday when we were riding and training in Hong Kong. And Dad turned to me one day and he said, listen, son, Lucky can ride, mate, because you'll never make a golfer. <laughs> and he was right again. That's it. That's it. Um, just going back to it's a bit a bit on the jockey side again. Um, obviously, these days, there's so much research going into nutrition and, like, diets and stuff. How was it back in a couple of, couple of years, like, many, many years ago when... Decades, even. Decades, when yeah. you were a jockey and you had to maintain weight and you didn't have that all that research, all that science that's gone into it that they have now, was it, was it harder, do you think? I was, I, was being, I was able to ride 52 and a half kilos, but I looked after my weight and I sauntered hard. Yeah. I sauntered every day. I, you know, I, I had a sauna in the garage, so I'd go and ride track work with plastics on, come back, uh, get in the sauna, baby oil, like all on my body. Once I started sweating, then I'd put plastics on. And sit just outside the sauna and I could drop, you know, five pound, no problem. Jeez. But very, oh, wow. de very dehydrated. Did it ever go too far? Like, did you ever lose too much weight and you had to get on a regime to get the weight back up? Uh, no, well, not really, but I got a lot of, I got cramps. Yeah. Um, got a, you know, I got once or twice cramps when I was in the gate, but, uh, and then sort of replaced the liquid after, after riding. Um, but that's what kept me. Uh, and helped me being able to ride so light. Otherwise, wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, well, well, take us through a day in the life of Gary Moore. So you wake up in Macau and you have to go out to the track to get the horses running. What What do you do from wake up to go into bed? What's a day in the life of trainer Gary Moore? Well, if we st let's start in Australia. Australians get up at three forty-five. Track opens at four forty-five, and then it's twenty-four-seven. Where you know, Macau's a, a lot, um, lot easier. Um, that's that's what really you know. Want I want to join up with my son because we both need each other. Yep. So a, a, a day in Macau would be uh, a lot uh, easier because we're only racing once or twice a week. So we'd be getting up much. You know, probably getting up a little later, maybe quarter past four. <laughs> Track opens at five. Um, go right through till about eight thirty. Go back to the stable with my son, check on the horses. Uh, don't eat a lot of breakfast. Maybe have a game of golf once a week. Yeah, that's it. But uh, watch Hong Kong racing on Wednesday nights. But you know, the main idea is to is the, you know the care of the horse and and to be there for for the horses and check you know how they're doing uh, physically, how well they're fed. So there's there's a lot. It's a lot easier to be a trainer. Excuse me, a lot easier to be a jockey than a trainer, I tell you. Because jockeys, you come and, you know, you've got to watch your weight, got to hold your performance, and uh, it's not 24-7. Yeah. Oh, well. Anything else? I've got nothing to add. Uh, um, thank you so much for coming on here, Gary. Actually, um, I've got, got one more. I've got one. Like you said, you're tr joining up with your son. Yes. So, like, what's next for Gary Moore in the training world with your son? What's the goals? What's... Where do you see yourself going in the next few years with this partnership? 
Well, I'd like to be, you know, I'd like to think that we've got the horsepower. It's going to take me. It's going to take me time to, to build a stable up with Nicholas, uh, because we've got to get these imports in. That'll make us, you know, competitive. But I'd like to see his champion stable. Probably not this season, but the next. How long can I keep going? As long as my health holds up, I'll keep training. You reckon? In partnership with my son, yeah, definitely. I enjoy it, and I'm well, even though I'm 70 years of age. But um, I feel great. No cap? You don't have an age in your mind where you're going to hang up the boots? got too many young children, and I can't, I can't <laughs> retire. <laughs> so, uh, not really. I've got two boys. That One's only 10 and the other's 15, so I've got to, you know, got to keep working. And that's the plan, and that's what I want to do. Try and win a feature race in whether Hong Kong or Australia again would be great. What's one race that you have in mind that if you could be any race, that's <coughs> the race you want to try and win her in? I'd like to win a race on International Day in Hong Kong. Yep. Yes. That would be really very, very well. I, I mean, you, you can't compete with having won the Arctic Triumph as a jockey and winning a Group 1 in Australia. It's, it's very hard to, to be able to accomplish anything better than, than winning a... Uh, even winning a, a race on International Day in Hong Kong or or a stakes race again in Australia can't compete with. Well, you've got the winning the Arc de Triomphe, training a Group One winner in Australia, and being champion jockey of France. Not much to it's, tick off the bucket list, eh? Um, I mean, it's 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 how many people have done it? Yeah, it's definitely an, an impressive resume you've got there, mate. It's definitely the best I've ever seen, and it's um. I'm hoping hoping the listeners absolutely love this because yeah. this has been awesome, mate. It's not bad when you've got a father to tell telling after I had my first ride, send him back to school and yeah, going to train and who would have thought, hey? Yeah, well, I I never thought I'd accomplish what I've done, but I was sort of I was sort of determined to to give it my um, best shot, and with the experience I've had throughout my life, there was a good chance that I was going to make it. Yeah, well done, mate. Well, impressive. Very, very impressive. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us today, Gary. It's My pleasure, awesome. gentlemen. It's been awesome, mate. Um, you go back to Hong Kong, like you said. But when you go tomorrow, is it? Or? Uh, I'm going to fly out on the weekend. On the weekend, yeah, so, so. Um, not much of a turnaround for you. So, happy oh. New Year, mate. Thank you very much for coming on, and um, I'm, we're so ecstatic that you came on, mate. And really appreciate it. Great hope interview. Can, hope we can do it when I come back to Australia, and hopefully with a horse good enough to win a, a race here. You know, stakes race would be fantastic to do another interview with you you guys and bring up you know bring some uh, news to the to the listeners that's it um, and so that'd be great and thank you for having me on, on the show no worries well, anytime mate very thankful that you came on like you said hopefully in a few years time you're back with the stakes winner and we'll be able to interview again maybe with your son as yes well. exactly right that would be really that'd be pretty cool yeah. having Nicholas in on the on the show would be really good because you can talk about some things that would interest um, your listeners yep. that I might have missed during this um, wonderful um, interview. Yeah. Awesome. It's a plan. All right. Thanks, Thanks Gary. Thanks, Cheers. Gary. Cheers, mate. Thanks for joining in, listeners. Make sure to check us out next time on Off the Track with the Mock Sports.